Welcome, everybody. Let me get your attention so we can get started here tonight. Thank you so much for being here. How many of you guys have been here all three weeks? You have perfect attendance. Wow. Okay, well, keep it going. Because when we get to graduation in a few weeks, you will be greatly rewarded. That's all I'll say about that. Anybody here for the first time? First time. Great. Well, welcome. It's great to have you here, too. Well, thank you for being here. Let me, uh, for those of you guys here for the first time, uh, I am Frank Loria. Uh, had the privilege of going to this, being a part of this church for 39 years with my bride, Annette, who is over there somewhere. Oh, there she is. I love. Um, so, um, had the opportunity to do Alpha with uh, our senior pastor, Keith Collins, for a while. Um, one of the elders here, not on staff, run a business uh, just on the other side of the canal. But love getting to do the Alpha course. And uh, we really appreciate you being here. Tonight, as always, we will have at the end of the evening a CD of this talk and the previous two weeks. So if you haven't been able to make it, if you want to grab those CDs, bring them to somebody else. Uh, we want to encourage you to do that. And, for, and if you've got a cell phone, I, it may not bother you, but I, am, I, I have ADD. Um, so if you just turn that thing off, that would be great, or just silence it, that would be super. I'd appreciate that. Okay, let me just give you a quick, uh, quick update on what we did last week. Uh, last week we talked about faith, and the fact that faith is not exclusively religious. Typically we connect faith to religion, but faith is something we exercise every day. And what we did last week, we spent a lot of time after look, talking about the fact that we exercise faith when we get in a car, get in an airplane, eat food that we haven't any idea what was put in it when it was prepared. Um, all those things. Marriage is faith, right? Marriage is... Some would say it's blind faith, but it's, it's faith. Um, but we looked, at, we, looked, we looked to history to, to see if there's any evidence, is there enough evidence to support what the Bible says as being conclusive to the degree anything of history can be conclusive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, whether these were historical acts that we could take a look at and make a reasonable conclusion as to whether they are verified, true, valid. And last week we talked about the fact that we, we basically... You know, we, we, I, I shared this with you. Please like us on Facebook. if you, That would be great. Okay. Um, okay, so last week, you remember this. My grandson was over here with a ruler that represented physical life. And then Trey was over here with a tape measure. For those of you who weren't here, you won't, you won't remember this. But, so we talked about the fact that physical life is very short. That represents physical life. We're here for a very brief time. And like I said, I... I woke up, I mean, I was 17, I woke up, I was 62. I mean, this is Rip Van Winkle almost times three here. It just goes quickly. It goes very quickly. And the fact of the matter is, and I, and I think you guys would agree, is that we spend more time critically examining things that are going to last a very short period of time. And when it comes to what's going to happen we call that the dash. And what's going to happen on the other side of our last heartbeat, a lot of times we just leave that to assumption. We just grew up believing that, so it must be true. Or we grew up not believing that, so it must not be true. But we've really never put the amount of effort thinking about things that are going to last forever 
that, we, that when we put into things that are going to last a very brief time. I mean, how much time, how much money have you spent on the, most big, the biggest blowout vacation you can ever imagine? I mean, everything, the logistics, everything's got to be just right. But when it comes to that, which we believe is going to last forever, because most of you told me that we're here last week, that you believe there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever, we've just kind of kept that without engaging our brain. Well, if we engage our brain in everything else we do in life, why would we not engage our brain when it comes to something that's going to last a whole lot longer than this? I just think that makes sense. And I think you, I think you do too. Like I said, I can't convince you of anything, but what the Alpha Course is, is, is for, a major aspect of the Alpha Course, is to encourage us, not just about what we believe, but why do we believe what we believe? Not just what we believe, but why do we believe it? What's the evidence to support our assertion, our assertion? What's our argument behind our faith position? problem is we can have a tendency of assuming or judging too quickly or without, an, without enough evidence. And so maybe uh, if you judge too quickly, like I had judged too quickly, it could bring you to a wrong conclusion. So I want you to get an idea how judging too quickly can bring us to a wrong conclusion. Look at the cute dog. <laughs> she has a fractured fibula. Given well, Saturday, so I can be able to go home tomorrow. He's going to be so excited. Oh, that killed him. Paging Dr. Palmer, Dr. Barbara Palmer, dial 452. Uh, so, don't judge too quickly, so we are really, uh, just on behalf of all of us that, that go to church here, thank you for being a part of the Alpha Course. We love doing this. We've done it a long time, and uh, I hope we get to do it for a lot, a lot more times as well. But uh, I, I, I hope you're here because you don't want to judge too quickly. You see that this is so important. This is a big deal. And, and here's a fair question to ask ourselves. Have we assumed things about... What's on the other side of our last heartbeat? Have we assumed things about Jesus and the Bible without thoughtfully examining what we are banking our forever on? What we're banking our life in the line on? That's a good question. 
See, and I think this is, this is another good question as well. If I can get it to go on there. Huh, hello. This is going to take a second now. Here we go. Okay. So here's the question. Is my faith position about who God is? Now think about this. Is, just ask it. Is my faith position about who God is and his acceptance of me based on my definition of who God is? Or God's definition of who God is. Now think about that. You may want to write that down. Is my faith position about who God is and his acceptance of me based on my definition of who he is? Or his definition of who he is? Well, if I don't know his definition of who he is, I'm going to have a very difficult time knowing what his definition of who he is is. And if all I know is my definition, and if it's not supported by anything... I don't have enough evidence to make a rational or have a rational faith position based on, because based on what I believe, I can't support that. And you and I don't live life that way. Why should I live life that way when it comes to things that are going to last forever? Why should I toss my brain at the door? So, and this is a question I had to ask myself, and my answer was no, I hadn't. Have I critically thought or sincerely presumptuously assume that what's on the other side of my last heartbeat, if there is anything, is going to be good. So let me just tell you just quick a little bit about myself. This this, this is dangerous because my family is sitting here tonight, so they will stand up and say you're a liar. Um, But I had a traditional family upbringing, traditional religious family upbringing. Uh, My my theology uh, was really more me-ology. Okay, theology, study of God, meology, basically my study of, of, of me, um, it was what suited me. Basically what suited me. Um, and I basically uh, worshipped uh, the BVM. Now, I don't know if any of you worship the BVM, but, but this basically, let me just show you the B, picture of the BVM. There's the BVM, the blessed vending machine. Okay, so... Um, and my good works were the currency that I would use to make the blessed vending machine give me what I wanted and not give me what I didn't want. So, so I did good things so I could accrue currency that I could make a deal with God so that he would have to give me what I wanted and not give me what I didn't want. So I did good things so I could accrue enough currency that I, whatever I wanted from the blessed vending machine would come my way. And so basically what I did was I remade God in my image. In Genesis chapter 1, the first book of the Bible, uh, Moses writes that God says, let us make man in our own image. Well, Genesis, according to Frank Loria, was... (laughs) Uh, You haven't read my version of the Bible yet, but... um, I wanted for God to be made in my own image. I wanted God on my terms. I wanted God to reflect me. I wanted a God that was was reachable, manageable, so that he fit into my meology. And so I have my own meology, and maybe you have your own urology. (laughs) You have your own you have your own meology. but if, but if that is the picture I have of God, think about this for a minute. If, my, if I can determine what God does based on what I do, then who is God? 
I am. If I say, God, I've done all these things and I haven't done any of these things, so you owe me. I have the currency to make you do what I want. Then if that is my meological, that I would sometimes call theological position, then basically I have made God and I therefore am God. I have defined who God is. And so God basically just becomes a a cosmic butler. That's what he becomes, a cosmic butler. That was me. So let's look at this. We're on page 20 tonight. Why did Jesus die? Now, According to, to this, according to the Bible, the answer you and I give in faith, right, in faith to this question has got to be correct. It is the most important answer we'll ever have to give. Any examination you've taken, whatever you've done to pass something, this is the question of questions. Because if what the Bible says is true, what's, where I will be on the other side of my last heartbeat and what I will experience in the dash is going to de- be determinant upon the answer that I have, what I believe is the truth. So according to the Bible, this answer has to be correct. It's the most important answer we'll ever give. If true, our lives in the dash, our physical lives, and on the other side of our last heart- heartbeat in the line totally depends on our faith position concerning how we answer this question. Why did Jesus die? John Stott, who was an Anglican priest, author, teacher, uh, wrote this. He said, the reason why many people give the wrong answers to the question about the cross, or why did Jesus die, and even ask the wrong questions, is that, now this was me, they have carefully considered neither the seriousness of sin nor the majesty of God. Okay, so let's look at this. Never considered two things, the seriousness of sin. Okay, that was my meology. Because I was a rank professional meologist, I would not consider sin any way but the way in which I viewed it on my terms. So I'd never considered how serious sin was, but I'd also, because of that, I wouldn't consider how majestic God is. I had to lower God and lower my sin so that I could raise myself above it and count myself worthy based upon my evidence-less meology. And I found I was in a heap of trouble because that was me. I had never really ever given serious, any consideration that God had a perspective that may be different than mine Because, you know why? Because I had absolutely no clue that the Bible contradicted my meology. I didn't know what was in the Bible, so I didn't know what God's impression or perspective was. So, because I had no clue, I had no clue. So, but let's see what the Bible has to say. And again, I want, I want to remember, remind you this. We're here to look at what the Bible says. I'm not, I'm not, it's not my job for you to believe it, but since most of us have never read it, we don't know what's in it. So at least if you leave, you're not believing any of it. At least you'll have an idea what's in it and what's not in it. And that will make, I think, all of this very worthwhile. So do not, and you're not going to have a problem with this, I don't think. Do not believe a word I'm telling you. I mean that. Don't believe a word I'm telling you. I am not the authority. 
Let the Bible speak for itself. Hopefully I will be sharing things correctly that are in it. But check every bit of this out. Because I am not the authority. So, let's keep looking at our book here. So, the issue according to the scriptures, the Bible says that we have a problem. You and I have a problem. Everyone that's ever breathed air has a problem. And that problem is this. God is holy. And we, not, not so much. Not so much. The Bible says that every one of us has, has come short. We've fallen short. We've failed. And we are not holy like God is holy. And, you know, all you have to do right now is just turn to your spouse and say, Am I, am I not holy? Really? Uh, is, does, does that mean, is that pertaining to me? Um, now, maybe some of y'all want to wait till later. But, um... See, and the Bible teaches that God says that be holy as I am holy. Well, I've got a real problem with that. If, if you want to take that <clears throat> literally, what the Bible says, be holy for I am holy, we all have a problem with that. We hardly got out of bed this morning without making it to be holy as I am holy, as we cursed the alarm clock or whatever it was. <clears throat> so, so let's look at some of the scripture. Let's see what the scripture has to say about this. This is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Okay, this is, we're not talking about Roman Catholicism here. We're talking about Paul writing to people that were followers of Jesus Christ. Churches in Rome in the first century. This is what he writes. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now let me just kind of break that apart for us. All have failed. Okay. All have been self-centered. All have sought their own will. All have been meologists. And as a result of it, fall short of that which is acceptable to God. Well, what is God's glory? The, God's glory is his perfection, his holiness in every way. And what the Bible says is, every one of us have fallen short. Now, I don't mind all have sinned. That doesn't bother me. But what bothers me is when, Michelle, you you rascal. You have sinned. Mike, you have sinned. David, you. Even you, Mark. I think you're a Methodist, is that right? But even you. <laughs> See, we've, we've all fallen short. Every one of us. There's not one of us that measures up to God's standard of acceptance. All have sinned. So, so the only problem here is that God scores our score before God has to be 100%, 100% of the time. We shouldn't have a problem with that. And so what do we do with that? We throw the baby out with the bathwater because we don't know what the Bible really has to say. So I'm going to be giving you a bunch of bad news for a while, okay? But stick with me. Don't leave. I'm going to turn the corner. I promise. So let's look at another good news scripture. There is none righteous... Not even one. There's none right. There's none perfect. There's none holy. There's none acceptable. Not even one. Okay, third. Newsflash. You are not acceptable. You are not righteous. Okay, yeah. And I, if Kathy were here, she would amen that, I'm sure. So, but, but I don't mind that congregational thing. We're, we're all about that congregational thing. Until that, that hammer falls right on my head and God says, Frank, you have sinned. You are not acceptable to me in and of yourself. You are not righteous. You are not holy. You fall, fall far short of me. 
Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Well, the Bible, the, God of the, the Bible says that God says that not because he's angry with me, but because he loves me. He needs to tell me what my condition is, and I have to accept that condition or not. I mean, a doctor can tell you, you have a terminal illness, and you say, Doc, I just don't believe it. Well, because you don't believe it doesn't mean you don't have a terminal illness. Not if there's enough evidence to support the authority that you actually have a terminal illness. So it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, or I believe it or not, this is either true or false. There's none right, not even one. Now, many assert or believe, and this was me, I did, that the way we're accepted by God is through keeping the Ten Commandments or having uh, a validating performance record, okay? A performance record that validates us before God. So, so many of us would assert, well, just, I guess you keep the Ten Commandments. Well, um, let's just go ahead and just why not. How many of us kept all the Ten Commandments, never broken one of them? You're just too shy. All right. Okay, so not, none of us. Um, but so many of us believe we'll just keep the commandments. The problem is, so many of us don't even know what the Ten Commandments are, much less, much less keep the Ten Commandments. I, I thought this was interesting. There was a st- survey done recently about a, a, a little over a thousand people um, wanted to know how many people knew the Ten Commandments. Well, 14% of the people knew the Ten Commandments. But 80% of the people knew two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. So what I think is interesting in that is the vast majority of the people are more versed in getting through the golden arches than the pearly gates. I thought that was cute. Maybe you didn't. Okay. So the question is really, how good are you? Well, let me, let me just... Um, the fact of the matter is, you are worse than you think. Are you in sales? <laughs> you got to give you the bad news first. So, I mean, because, you know, we... But imagine if for a moment we just put a thought monitor. Just put a thought monitor up on your on your shoulders. Okay, you just attach a thought monitor. You got this little USB port back here. You just click that in there and everything that's got in the brain comes onto the monitor. All right, 24 hours a day. Everything you're thinking is just right up there on the screen for everybody thing to see. Everybody to see. So you're standing in line at the store and somebody breaks in. Don't you love that? No, really. Don't you love that? And they break in. Oh, and they say, oh, I'm sorry. Do you mind if I get here? And you say, no, I don't. But on your thought monitor, after they move in line, you just grab their neck and you're beating their head against the wall. I hate when people do that. But you were so kind. But what you were thinking is completely the opposite. Some of, our, some of us have had to deal with this one. Um, our wife has just bought a new dress. And she wants to try it on for you, of course. And, and she says uh, to you, and after she tries it on, she says, Sweetheart, does, does this dress make my butt look big? And you go, oh, no, sweetheart, you fit perfectly in that. And on the screen <laughs> is a picture of this sausage factory with sausages getting just crammed into the lining. So, I mean, the... So, so... Uh, I mean, we're bad enough by what we do, but what we think, and what the Bible says is God not only knows what we do, He knows every thought. 
I had no idea that's what the Bible taught. No idea. So let's just look at some more scriptures so we can feel even better about ourselves. Um, so what are the results or evidence of sin? So Bible talks about there being, in, in your notebook, this is there, I'm, I'm skipping for sake of time the penalty, but the pollution of sin, not the penalty, the pollution, the penalty, and the partition of sin. Let's just take a look at one of these scriptures here. This is out of the Gospel of Mark in the seventh chapter. This is, what, this is Jesus speaking. He's, he's saying what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean or unrighteous or unholy or not acceptable. For from within, okay, so from within us, out of man's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Or make, ladies, you too. Make a woman unclean. See, and you go, well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, guess what Jesus says? If you call your brother a fool you've murdered him because Jesus gets past all that to the heart and he says it's not environmental your sin sin problem your self-centered problem Frank is not environmental it's not your parents fault certainly not my mother's fault but it is inside of me we inherit this and we're going to talk a whole lot more about that in a little bit so it's from within it's inherent in every one of us. This pollution is inherent. Also, the Bible says that there's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin, the wages of self-centeredness, what you earn, right? Wages are what you earn, is death. Now, when the Bible talks about death, it's not talk, it doesn't talk about annihilation. It's talking about separation. Let's just go to the Garden of Eden for a moment. Um, God tells Adam and he puts all these trees in the midst of the garden, puts two Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says you can have any of them, but just don't eat this one. So you know what we did, right? We chose that one. God says the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Well, Adam and Eve, when they took a bite out of whatever that fruit was, did not just keel over like Snow White. They died, though, immediately in their relationship with God. They began to die in their relationship with one another And they were going to die in their relationship to themselves in their bodies. Relationship with God, others, and themselves. They died immediately as it pertained, were separated from God. They became unholy. There's so much more to be said about this. But this is, gosh, in our introduction tonight, I'm just kind of skating over the surface here. So... The wages of sin is death. So the penalty and the partition of sin. This is, this is good. Behold, this is the prophet Isaiah. About 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth was born. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save. Okay, save from what? Save from unholiness. Save from unrighteousness. Save from self-centeredness. Save from being dead. Neither is his ear so, ear, so dull that it cannot hear. But your Iniquities. Okay, that's just a $10 word for sin, selfishness, self-centeredness. Have made a separation. That's the death between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. He does not 
hear you. So much more to be said about that. But the Bible talks about a, ca- a, a chasm of separation between us and God. Now, we're not talking about, I, I just had to do a little research last night. The longest long jump, 29 feet, four and a half inches. So there's a chasm between God and you and me that is a whole lot longer than 29 feet, four and a half inches. It is, it is, it's, it's unbridgeable. You can't get there. There's a big chasm because God is life. We are death. There is a huge chasm of separation. And what we have attempted to do that, basically all religions with the exception of biblical Christianity state some type of validating performance record. There's something you have to do. You, It's incumbent upon you to do this so that you can, you see my fingers crossed, hope that this God will accept you. So, so let me just, I want to show you just uh, something. If any of you have taken a comparative religion class or want to take a comparative religion class, let me save you a lot of money. In five minutes, I will give you comparative religion. Okay, so this is validating performance record religion. It's incumbent upon me. And what do those... So basically, here's man, and it's man's effort to reach God. The arrows are lower and higher because, well, just frankly, some of us are nicer than others, better than others. The question is, is anybody good enough to get there? According to the Bible, no. Doesn't mean it's wrong to be nice. What are some of those validating performance records? There's Islam... Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, the world's fastest religion, growing religion, whatever. That's, a, that's huge. I, I know it's funny, but it's sad. Uh, now, what, is, what does the Bible teach? Biblical Christianity says, since there is no way for you to bridge the gap between you and God, God, in his love, sends Jesus Christ <clears throat> to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, you'd have to believe that. I'm not even asking you to believe it. But if you study Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnessism, you, that's the, that you will find that. There is only one religion that does not require you and me to have a perfect validating performance record. And that is biblical Christianity. Doesn't mean it's true. But for sake of argument, it is clearly different. Clearly different. And what this makes, what this means is that there is no, and I hear this, there is no more condemning religion than Christianity. There's no religion that condemns like Christianity. But there is no religion that gives certainty of salvation and hope and love and life on the other side of your last heartbeat than Christianity. I think it's something worth considering. Well, let's turn the corner here to the solution or the remedy, the remedy to deliver us, to ford that, bridge that gap. What this, what, 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 here's what Peter tells us. The Apostle Peter writes a, to his, to followers of Jesus, and he's talking about the fact that you're reading that right now. You're not paying attention to me. I know that. So let me just say what I'm going to say here. Okay. So, and he himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins. Okay, so all of our unrighteousness, all of our self-centeredness, all of my meology, the Bible says that Jesus took on a cross. 
He carried all of my wrongness. He bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So let me just, one day I'm going to get this prop done. But just to picture this is a huge plug. Okay, and my heart is connected into that plug. My heart's connected to this plug. It's a plug of death. And I'm plugged into death. So he died on the cross so that I might die to sin. Now death means what? Separation. So that I may be unplugged from sin. Let's say over here there's another plug and that plug is life. Unplugged from sin and from my heart plugged into life. So now the power of my life comes from him. He is the source of my life. My source apart from him is death. But when I accept this truth he says that I will die to sin be separated from unholiness and live to righteousness that doesn't mean I become perfect now but I hear this I don't become perfect now but I become perfectly his I'm not perfect but I'm perfectly his now my brothers here tonight we are not we were not perfect brothers Close. I'm more so than he. But, but, we, but we were... That's because I was the oldest. I had to be. Um, but we were not perfect laureas, but we were perfectly laureas. Just, do you see the difference? Just go like this. If, unless you're already doing that because you're falling asleep. Okay. So, do you see that? It doesn't mean I cease ever doing anything wrong. But now God sees me as plugged into him. And now the reverse of Adam takes place. Where I was immediately separated, becoming separated, one big separate from my body, I become immediately connected to God, and then the transformation begins to look like this transformation in the earth. I become to, I begin to, I'm perfectly connected to God. Through the transforming work that He does in me, I begin to be more perfectly connected to others, and then one day when I, my heart stops, God says, I'm going to give you. A new body that's going to last forever. Okay? That may not be true, but that's what the Bible clearly says. So unplugged to death. Plugged into life. Another quote from Peter here. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, the dead, for, pardon me, the the righteous for the unrighteous, the living for the dead, to bring you to God. Christ, the righteous one, died so that I, the unrighteous one, would be... Now look at what that says. I would be brought to God. Now think about that. When somebody brings you to someone, let's say somebody would bring you to somebody you always wanted to meet. Whoever that would be. How would you feel about that? I'm ushering you to somebody you always wanted to meet. I mean, wouldn't you just have goosebumps and be all excited about that? Well, what this says is Christ died for my sins to bring me to God. And how do I get brought to God? Unplugged from death, plugged into his life. I get his life. And it makes me new and acceptable before him. Not just forgiven, but brought to God. I love that. I mean, because God could have just said, okay, you're forgiven. Now just get out of my face. Not, that didn't want, not only forgiven, but accepted and brought to him and kept by him, accepted by him because of him. The validating performance record now is not my validating performance record. I stand before God based on Christ's 
record of performance, which validated him. And that gets imparted to, to me. Phenomenal. Um, all right, there's another scripture here that I'm going to just jump from, and maybe you table hosts can look at that scripture from Isaiah, which is so, so good. But let's just look at uh, this scripture here. Paul wrote to a region in Galatia, and this is what Paul had to say. This, think about this now. Listen to this. Paul says this. He says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Okay, let's define terms. What is grace? Okay, grace is not just what you say before dinner. That's what my definition would have been. Grace, a simple term for, for grace is unmerited favor. Receiving something you do not deserve. Okay? That's what grace is. Receiving that which you do not deserve. Now, based on everything we've said tonight, I think we've already seen the fact that apart from God, we don't deserve God's holiness. We did nothing to deserve life. But he says, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no reason for Christ to die. Do you hear that? If you could, be, if you could do enough good for God to consider you good, there was no reason for Jesus to die. He could have just come, given a pep talk, patted us on the back, a few more rules, go get him, tiger. That's all he'd have had to do. But to show that you and I could never be good enough in and of ourselves... Christ had to die if keeping the law would make us right with God by doing good enough, by having a sufficient validating performance record was good enough, there was no reason for Jesus to die. Do you see that? I hope so. I hope so. What he's saying here is, no matter how good you are, or no matter how good you think you are, if you haven't put up a thought monitor, you really don't know how bad you are. But no matter how, it's not, you're not good enough. What the Bible says is true. And every one of us knows in our own hearts, we fall way short of not only God's rules, we fall way short of our own rules. How often do you keep your own rules you make for yourself? Much less the rules you tell other people to keep that you don't keep. Hmm. Oh, okay. Now I'm sounding like I'm preaching. I'm sorry. This is why he died. Just a few statements here. Jesus did not come to simply be an example impossible to emulate. Don't you love examples that are positive to emulate? Who wants an example that's positive to emulate? It's more frustrating than anything else. And I think that's why so many people say, you can have it with your religion because this is ridiculous. I can't keep all these rules. So thank you, but no thank you. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ is exactly the opposite. You can't, he can, he did, and what will you do about that? He came to be our savior. Validating performance record religion gives us rules and laws to attempt, now catch this, to improve our self-determining meology. Self-determining. I'm the one, me, self-determines my destiny. But VPR, Validating Performance Record, religion does not give us a savior to receive. Because in VPR religion, we don't need to be saved. We just need to be improved. We just need to die on a good day. By whose standard? 
We don't need to be saved. We just need to be improved. The question is, how improved? How good? Who says so? Do you trust your meology enough to be the final authority on what happens on the other side of your last heartbeat and experience the peace that God says he offers in the dash in our physical lives? The Bible goes on to say that Jesus alone accomplished for us what in a million lifetimes or reincarnations we could never, ever accomplish. Because God, unlike us, as I've been saying, is perfect in all of his ways. But he must be perfect in all of his ways at all times. He cannot compromise one of his attributes for another. Let's just, and I thought we'd just take a second to just look at some of these attributes. Okay, we got no problem with most of these. Love, I got no problem with the fact that God is love. If he is, super. Holy, I I don't really know what that means. So, stained glass, pews, you know, okay. Uh, Mercy, I like mercy. You like mercy? I like mercy. Um, Wisdom, if if God's going to be wise, that could be helpful. Uh, how about knowledgeable? He's, he's knowledge. I, I like that too. Um, I'm all into patience. I like that. I call it procrastination. Guy can call it patience. I mean, that's patience is good. Um, how about this one? Justice. God is justice. And what bumper stickers all over the place say God is justice, right? I haven't seen one ever. Okay. But here's the thing. Can, if God is 100% just and he cannot compromise one of his attributes at the sake of another, that he's 100% of who he is 100% of the time, how can he extend mercy to me? I mean, a great, a great example of this would be, Ronnie, you just got here late, so I'm going to pick on you. So, um, let's say Ronnie and I are really good friends. Ronnie has been caught going 50 miles an hour in a school zone in Orleans Parish. Yeah, you know there's no hope. Okay. Um, uh, but I, I'm a judge in Louisiana, so there's no recusing myself, even though Ronnie is a very good friend of mine. And so the, the fine, Ronnie, for, for speeding in a school zone is $10,000, particularly going for you going 50 $20,000, all right? I just, I can change the law. So $20,000. The problem is Ronnie was going on a business interview because he hasn't worked in a year and he can't even begin to think about paying the fine. So, I say, uh, Ronnie, would you please approach the bench? And Ronnie approaches the bench and, he, and, he, and I say to Ronnie, I said, Ronnie, what are you thinking about? 15 miles an hour in a school. You say, well... Uh, Your Honor, I was late for the interview. I just messed it. And I go, all right, Ronnie, I better not ever see you in this court again, but I'm going to let you go this time. Now, the law says $20,000 for going 50 in a school zone. How's justice done? How's justice made out in this court case? Where's justice? Down Down the... Yeah, down the toilet. But how did mercy do? Mercy's doing great. Mercy's loving. How do you think all those parents that wanted to see this guy strung up 
are feeling about this. For their kids, pulling their kids out of the way because of this guy late for an interview. See, mercy is extended, but justice is compromised. Well, let's go back to the courtroom. Ronnie finds $20,000. We're locking you up. And Ronnie says, I got no money. So how justice do then? All us justice people. We love that. Throw the sucker away with the key. How'd mercy, how, how'd mercy do? Not a stitch of mercy. But let's say I love Ronnie so much that I come behind, from behind the, my bench, I pull off my judicial robes, I pull out my checkbook out of my pocket, I go to the bailiff and I write, payable to state of Louisiana, city of New Orleans, whatever, $20,000. Sign it, rip it, Give it to the bailiff. Has mercy been extended? Yes. Has justice been satisfied? Yes. Yes. And this is what God does. He becomes both the just one and the one who justifies those who have faith in God. Let me just show you here. For all have sinned, every one of us, Every one of us have failed, sought our own way, and we have come short of being acceptable to a loving, holy, righteous, just God. But look at what it goes on to say. But all are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption. Okay, you know, we know what redemption means. We've been around here long enough for SNH green stamps, top value stamps. Some of you, I see the older people are going, yeah, the younger people going, I have no idea what a redemption stamp is. All right. So, that means bought back. We've been bought back. We're justified. Now, what does justified mean? Okay, justified means innocent. As if you had never, ever sinned. Perfect. Now, how are you justified? As a gift by His grace. Remember the word? Unmerited favor. Through the redemption which is in... Next week, if you come back next week, we're going to to express this little inward. This two-letter word is an amazing word. In Christ Jesus. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness, holiness, perfection at the present time. So as to be, here we go, just and the one who justifies... Justice and the merciful one, the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So He does it so that we could experience him justified as a gift by his grace through redemption which is in Jesus. So, and let me just go show you one other scripture. Here, we talked about this a little earlier. I filled in the rest of the scripture. For the wages, what we earn, of sin, being separated from God, is death. But, look what it says. The free gift, there's that gift word again, of God is eternal life through, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So again, here's, here's, here's the dash. Here's our physical life. Here's life on the other side of our last heartbeat that goes forever. Okay? The wages of sin is death, separation from God. But when somewhere in that continuum, if I receive the gift, the Bible says life starts at age 30, 40, 50, 15, 70, 80, my grandfather, 90, my father-in-law, 87, whenever... The free gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus so that when we put off this body, this earth suit, life lasts forever. 
It begins when I receive the gift and it continues through life. If what the Bible's telling me is true, this is what the Bible clearly teaches. The free gift. How much do you pay for a free gift? Exactly. It's not a free gift if you have to pay for it. Let me just, for example, here. Okay, Daryl, you're here. Garrett, sorry. Garrett, you're here. This is a gift. Okay, I want you to have this gift. You, you. I want you to have this gift. Now, your life depends on receiving this gift, right? And I want you to have it. How much is it going to cost you? Is it free? That's what I said. It's free, yeah. How much is it going to cost you if, if it's a free gift? What do you have to do to earn it? You don't have to do anything to earn it, or it wouldn't be a free gift. That's right. So I want you to have this. How much good is it doing you in my hand? None. When does it do you good? No. Would you like it? Yes. Take it. All right. So when you re- give it back. Okay. So when. So. So God says, I've come to extend a gift to you. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. But what you have to do is realize Garrett is not going to receive this gift if he doesn't realize he needs it. See, until I realize that I, I have a problem that's bigger than what I thought. And there's a gift that God has extended that is exactly what I need. But until I realize that, I'll say, thanks very much for a gift. I got this. I can do this. I'm not so sure about this. Okay, that's... You may be right, but it's meology. Because it's centered on your faith position. It's based on what you hope is true. God says, through Christ, I give you a gift... For you to have that I will never take away from you. And the gift is not something, it's someone. See, why Jesus died was because had he not died, I would have forever apart from him. See, Jesus comes as a perfect man to live the life I could not live but needed to. And die the death I should have died so that I wouldn't have to. So that he could bring me to God, and I could have life in the dash, even in the midst of this hellhole called earth. I could have peace in the midst of this, no matter how old I am, what denomination I am, where I go to church, where I don't go to church, and that has nothing to do with anything. And then the moment my heart stops, his promise, if what the Bible says, his promise, if what it says is true, that I will be with him forever in a way in which I can't even begin to imagine. So, so when we respond... Okay? When we respond, we receive the remedy. We are given life, his life. The pollution of sin is removed because Christ comes in and removes it. The power of sin over me is broken because he who is power, more powerful than sin comes inside of me. His life, not my validating performance record, his is now what God sees. And the penalty for all of my sin is paid for ever. Even when you wake up tomorrow morning and kick your dog, even when you wake up tomorrow morning and throw your alarm clock across the room, when you wake up and you get stuck in traffic 
You are still plugged into life because life is plugged into you. And that life is not predicated upon what you do or don't do. It's predicated upon what he did. And that's difficult for us to grasp because we're so used to being the ones that do it my way. But God, the, the Bible tells us that God, God's love for us is greater than we can imagine. And, and matter of fact, the scripture even says this here. For God so loved the world that he gave, okay? He gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever would believe in him. We're going to talk a whole lot more about what, what does it mean to believe next week. We're going to get into that because we throw that believe around a lot. That, I think a lot of times we might as well throw the word assert in there. What we assert. I don't really believe it. But it's what I've always held on to. If it works, fine. If it doesn't work, fine. We just assert that. But what we got to love the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish, will not die, will not be separated from him forever, but will have and will continue to have eternal life. This life is in his son. Now, who's the whoever? Okay, all have sinned. But God says whoever believes in him, whoever takes the gift, will not perish. Okay? That means, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that if Dan believes in him, Louise believes in him, if Cody believes in him, they will not perish. Krista believes in him, will not perish, but have life, God's life, forever. That's the promise. So if what the Bible tells us is true, and Jesus Christ is in fact raised from the dead... God comes to deal away with our impossible situation because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But the Bible declares that God so loved us that he came to do for us what we could not do. So what do I do with that? That's a good question. What do I do with that? Well, if I want to receive something from someone, I just have a conversation with them and tell them what I want. We call it prayer. I just call it communicating with God. We'll talk more about prayer in week six. But you just receive the gift. This is, and, and accepting this gift has nothing to do with where you go to church or what your denomination is. It has nothing to do with any of that. But it is about stepping out of the validating performance record religious model and saying, I, do not, I cannot attempt to reach God. I know I don't. I, I, I cannot commend myself to God that way. I choose to believe what Christ did by coming for me, rescuing me so that I am with him now while I'm on earth and when I'm taken out, I will be with him forever. That is the promise. I get taken out of the, the religious model of meology. I no longer put my faith in my validating performance record, but his. So... About 43 years ago, this happened to me. I was a sophomore at LSU, and I was aware of God, prayed, went to church, but knew nothing of what the Bible said. But when I did and saw my need was greater than my ability to fill it, I recognized that God-shaped void inside of me. I just simply said, take me. There's no magic words. 
But in faith, I believed the cross for me, that Jesus came for me, and I surrendered my life to him. And I just said something like this. This is, again, these are no magic words, but if you can follow this, it's good. And I just got kind of something I would pray today if I prayed it. You may want to do this yourself. God, I know, I know now that I have been a myologist trying to improve and save myself on my own terms, not yours. But tonight, I realize that I need you to be my savior. I, I cannot save myself. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. Jesus, I am ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you're the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Amen. See, nothing magic about those words, but if you believe that in your heart, and you confess something like that, again, nothing about these words. It could just be, yes, I'm tired of trying to validate myself by going to church every Sunday and hoping that's enough and hoping I can make it to the next church service and get forgiveness. No. The Bible says God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. At your table tonight, there's going to be a a little booklet we want you to take with you. It's called, and and you guys don't give those out yet, but it's called How Good Are You? And I just want to encourage you to take those with you. If you didn't pay attention to a word I said tonight, just take that little booklet. It'll explain and you'll save yourself a lot of time too. Next week, I sure hope you'll come next week. Next week, uh, how can I have faith? In other words, can I be sure of what I believe is another title for that. Okay, just, just come one more time. I know last week I told you, just come one more time. Just, <laughs> just, just one more time. So we really do appreciate you're being here. We're going to hang around. I hope you can hang around for some questions and we can just talk about this a little bit more, look more into what the Bible has to say. But greatly appreciate your being here, your attention. Uh, let's take a quick five-minute break and uh, get back to our table. So thank you very much for being here tonight.